Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we're talking all things fertility with Dr. Zahar Merhi. He is an internationally recognized board certified doctor and also serves as the director of research and development in IVF at New Hope Fertility in NYC. And let me just tell you guys, this guy's bubbly. He's fantastic. You are going to laugh so hard with him and you're going to want him to be your BFF forever. Which is so cool because fertility is one of the most requested topics. We hear from you guys. We get your emails. We get your messages, your DMs all the time on this critical issue that so many people are facing. And yet it can kind of be a little bit confusing or like this sort of great unknown. And Dr. Mary, he is First of all, so accomplished, so like well-researched and well-read, knows everything going on in the field. And he also feels like your best friend. Like this is Valerie and mine's first time chatting with him. And we you'll hear us sound like like bantering little chickens like talking to each other. So anyway, guys, just listen to the episode. You're gonna like it. Here's Dr. Zahir Murray. This is a my name is Dr. Zahir Murhi. I am a fertility specialist at New Hope Fertility Center. I have three American board certifications, OBGYN, Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, and Embryology Lab Director. I am a professor at SUNY Downstate uh, University and the fellowship director of the Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility training at SUNY Downstate. I also have a faculty appointment at NYU and Albert Einstein College of Medicine, all in New York. I'm a father of two boys. Uh, Ryan is just turned 13 and Adam is 11. And uh, my office is at New Hope Fertility Center in Manhattan. And you can follow me anytime on my Instagram, zahirmurhi7, um, anytime. Or you can email me at zahir.murhi at nhfc.com. Amazing. And what is it that made you, I mean, that just in those credentials, you can see the layers of understanding that you have about infertility and fertility. Um, I'm curious why you were so excited about this field, why you wanted to specialize in it. Uh, well, since I was a kid, I always related to women more than men. <laughs> you know, like talking to them was to me easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I decided to go through the OBGYN field and after the OBGYN field, I wanted to subspecialize. And honestly, I had two choices, either gynecology, oncology, because I liked surgeries a lot, or reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Um, I liked both, but the oncology part, I was, we, I was losing patients during my med school and training that I was attached to. And it was really sad at the end because not everybody survived like ovarian cancer and endometrial right. cancer. Right. And I'm a happy guy. So I decided to move on to the reproductive endocrinology field and make babies. <laughs> but that's amazing that, if you know, because I think that a lot of couples who, you know, approach the the fertility process are doing it, you know, with a lot of hope, of course, with a lot of right. excitement, but also I think a healthy understanding that there can be just a lot of stress um, and sometimes disappointment associated with that process. And it's wonderful to see how positive you are <laughs> in that, you know, because you have this incredible success, right? Part of why we were we were so excited to chat with you is because you have had just incredible, incredible um, results and, and you know, the way that you take care of your patients, uh, you know, lots of, lots and lots Thank of uh, people have mentioned it. So, um, you know, part of what we wanted to chat about was, was 
maybe you know for people who ha- who are just thinking about this on the periphery don't really mm. understand deeply what IVF looks like or what your specialty of it looks like and because I because that's part of it too is IVF seems like this kind of nebulous cloud no one really knows what it is right. until you get into the process of it and then once you're in the process you realize that no, it's not one size fits all there's so many very I've had so many friends who've gone through this experience and there is there's just so many different paths that you have right. so I'd love if you just sort of give like a very basic overview and then maybe chat a bit about what it is that you're doing that's kind of novel sure so infertility is a very common thing people should not consider it a taboo because the the who labeled it as a disease so it mm-hmm. is okay to talk about it that's number mm-hmm. one one in 10 one in 12 couple in the united states have infertility problems infertility by definition is if couple are having unprotected sex they don't have to time it unprotected sex for a year and the women did not get pregnant, that's infertility. If the woman is above 35, then if she's had sex for six months unprotected and did not get pregnant. So age 35 is important. Less than 35, try for a year. You don't get pregnant, see a doctor. You're above 35, six months. You don't, I mean, having, when I'm talking about having sex, meaning twice a week, that's that two to three times a week. Okay, not once a month and, oh, I can get pregnant. <laughs> it doesn't work. Out. But also not every day, you know, right? So it has to be. Because, oh, wait, that's interesting because I, right. I definitely think some of the husbands maybe were like, no, it's every day. I, well, that's an excuse they use to have sex. So, <laughs> the, the funnest part is trying, right? <laughs> that's exactly. But uh, look, the sperm lives inside the body of a woman for three days. So if a woman has sex once every three days, she should be okay. Hmm. And the most, most fertile window is one to two days before ovulation. So if a woman has 28-day cycle, she ovulates in the middle day 14. If she has sex on day 12, mm-hmm. day 13, these are the most important days. That's it. Either day 12 or day 13. Uh, again, the sperm lives three days, so she's covered. The reason why is after the woman ovulates, the egg lives inside her body for only one day. If there's no sperm, boom, it dies. Really? So it's important to know that a day after you ovulate, your chances of getting pregnant are zero. The egg is gone. So wait, I have a question, just a, just a contraceptive sure. question then. So if you have unprotected sex days 14 through 28, theoretically you can't get pregnant? Zero chance. Unless you're, wait, 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 wait. Speaking from somebody who has gotten pregnant like a, like ridiculously fast and very, like we talk about that whole blowing thing. He like, yeah. oh, my husband blows on me and uh-huh. I get pregnant. Yeah. I was going to say, what blowing thing? <laughs> I elaborate. <laughs> can't get so, pregnant that way. <laughs> yeah, no, no, can't get pregnant that way. But you can, but, but sometimes people are not always ovulating when they think they're ovulating. Right, so right, that's the key. To, right. I'm talking. Well, we're talking ideally if someone exactly. knows. Exactly, but but I want people to know, listening to this, that that I have some babies because I didn't think I was ovulating, and I have some babies breastfeeding my other babies, which they say doesn't work, and it very much works. I've made like three people doing that. Okay, so just everybody, be careful at home. You're either super fertile or you're I, I, Superman. Let's <laughs> let's go with the second one because you know what? He'll just really like that. Maybe exactly. both. Maybe a little little baby. Look, look, look. So, look, breastfeeding and timing are not the best contraceptives, right? I mean, there is IUD, there is birth control pills, 
these are the ones that are right. close to 100%. And they're never 100%. I have patients having twins when they were on the birth control pill. Actually, one of my friends got pregnant oh, with twins. God. Yeah, wow. exactly. Wow. So nothing is 100%. I have a patient who had tubal ligation, came back pregnant a year after the tubal ligation. What? Because they're not 100%. There is, there is always some cases that fails contraceptives. So... Hmm. So we have to be careful. But sorry, just last question. Why sure. does it, is it helpful or harmful to have sex every day for the three days leading up to, if you knew when you were ovulating? It's not helpful and it's not harmful. Mm. But, you know, it, I think having sex every day, every day for a couple can cause stress, especially, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, I see a lot of men telling me, you know, it's just too much stress. I couldn't function and stuff right, like that. Right. We don't want to make it as a job. It's supposed to be fun. Right. right. Of course, of <laughs> so, so yeah. No, I've heard, I've heard okay. that trying that no, people say trying is the funnest part. That's number one. And then also I've heard that mm -hmm. if not just the stress, but like also that sometimes their sperm count gets depleted. Is that possible? If they're doing, if you're having sex too often, the sperm count is lower. That's very true. That's very, very true. Uh, but, but in most men, it doesn't. If men has lost sperm count to start with, then yes, having it every day might actually make it mm. worse. Right. But again, every other day or every three days, I really think should be enough. Okay. So we stopped you at the beginning of the process. So you were explaining, you know, a woman's most fertile in these two to three days leading up to her ovulation and then go from there with what the rest of the IVF process looks like. Yeah. So, so we talked about the definition of infertility. Now we know a year or six months not pregnant, you go to see a doctor. Now, the couple have to always be coming together it doesn't have to, but usually we recommend they come together because a lot of time the woman says, oh, it's my fault. It's my problem. My period is not regular. But you can't just assume the man has a sperm. Even if the man, even if couple have children together, things change. The body changes over time. Man's sperm. We've had a lot of people who had men who had kids and now they have no sperm mm. for, for no reason. We don't know everything. So. Before I jump to IVF, the, the infertility is categorized as primary and secondary. Primary is in a woman who never had children and she's struggling. Secondary is a woman who had kids and now she's struggling. Hmm. If you had kids, it doesn't mean you're going to have kids again for sure. Don't take it for granted. So that's why I can tell you around 50% of my patients, they had kids in the past. Actually, I would say more than 50% because a lot of them had termination of pregnancy when they were teenagers and all that stuff. So they really had no problem getting pregnant back then. But because mm. the body changes, it's important not to assume you're going to be fine for the rest of your life. Now, couple come, they have infertility. We have to ask some questions. The period of the women and all that stuff. If the period is regular, more, almost, almost always 95% of the time, the woman is ovulating. Two, we need to ask about sexually transmitted diseases. Chlamydia, for example, which is a, one of the most common STDs in the, in the country and in the world, it's well known to cause blockage of the tubes. So if the tubes are blocked, the sperm and the egg cannot meet because they mm. meet in the tube. It's like a tunnel and two cars supposed to meet in the middle, mm. but there's a wall now. They can't meet. So it's important to know if she has any history that could block her tubes. And finally, this, the men need to do semen analysis in order for us to see if this problem. Now, not every time we find, we find a problem, I want you to be careful. One out of three couple will have problem with the woman. One in three couple will have problem with the man. One in three couple will have unexplained infertility. 
We do not know. There are mm-hmm. things in different. That's why I like the research part because we're trying to understand why some women, some couple who had kids and now all of a sudden cannot. Everything is still the same. So that's basically the workup. Now, any questions so far about the workup of the infertility? I want to ask about um, the age, the magic age of 35, because I mm-hmm. started having kids at 28. I got pregnant with my daughter at 28, had her at 29, and then I had a baby almost every year. Um, wow. And then at 35, I had two mm-hmm. miscarriages. And I had mm-hmm. chemical mm-hmm. pregnancies in the past, but I had two miscarriages. I had one like when you hear the heartbeat and then the heartbeat wasn't good and then eventually stopped. And then I had another one at four months mm-hmm. at the end of last year. And – what they would say to me is, well, you're 35 now. And I was like, wait a second. Last year at 34, I had my son. You guys told me I was so young. And then all of a sudden I hit 35 and you tell me I have AMA, advanced uh, maternal age. I know I hate this word. This word has to change. And now there is like pediatric, mm-hmm. geriatric pregnancy. I really, I don't like these names. I'm sorry. I'm really not. I'm really sorry. Look, I mean, the reality is, and this is a great question. Where would we come with the age 35, even though it's really more 37 and 35 nowadays? But women is born with number of eggs. You do not make new eggs. Unlike men, men keep producing sperm until they die. That's the only good thing about being a man. But women are born with, it's like an ATM machine. Your parents gave it to you. It has money. You can spend money. You can't put money in the ATM machine. But the money also gets old as you get older. So really, some of that money would be bad. Having said that, at age 35, the the number of eggs start to decline significantly, but not only the number, Mm -hmm. the quality. And that's why miscarriages happen. Once the quality of the egg is not good, it starts to make errors Mm -hmm. in the DNA, it fertilizes, makes pregnancy, goes to the uterus, sticks, but doesn't grow properly. And nature by itself wants to basically clean up, you know, uh, unhealthy or babies with, with problems. So that's why, back to your question, 35 is this magic number that people talk about. But it just feels like there's no middle age. You go from young to old like this. Uh, true. At, unfortunate, but true. Because if you look at the curve, it's all of a sudden, boom, it's like free fall. That's why I tell patients, freeze your eggs. And they ask me, when is the best time to freeze eggs? Freeze eggs now. Right. Why do you have to wait? Right? The sooner, the better. And also, I want you to keep in mind, 1% of women in the United States they have premature ovarian insufficiency. It used to be called premature ovarian failure, mm. which is a menopause. Less than 40 years old, I have every day a patient who is like in her 20s or 30s, stopped having a period, and now she's in menopause. So why wait? Freeze your eggs. There's nothing to lose with freezing your eggs. What do you think right. is contributing to that uh, just like massive spike in in it's almost like hormone disruption that's happening at a much earlier age than you would have anticipated seeing people with that kind of um, disruption to their normal functioning. Uh, great question. I think, number one, we're catching more of these cases because they're mm. coming to us more often. Uh, it's like the coronavirus. The more you test, the more, <laughs> the more yeah. you have. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two, um, you know, there is a lot of environmental factors. Yes, there are genetic, but environmental factor is the use of cell phones all the time. Some studies showed if you put cell phone close to your testicle or ovaries, the vibration could cause some damages, this electromagnetic field. I'm not expert in those, but could potentially have detriment on, on the reproductive function. Is it, uh, you know, putting laptop, what, putting laptop on your lap and 
the warming the testicles also in men can also cause problems. We don't know what they do in women. When you put a laptop, it's much closer to you. So what I'm trying to say, there are things that I think environmental and there are genetic. A lot of environmental things I think we need to, to work on in order to identify them, in order to avoid any chemicals or any toxic things. You know, BPA and all these plastic, and they call them endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. They're in everywhere around us, right? I don't know if you've heard of BPA, which is like a chemical yeah, they put yeah. in the bottle. Mm -hmm. yeah, these Flame retardants, been, anything like that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they cause inflammatory processes and they actually have been um, correlated with a lot of endocrinological problems in women. Um, and that's why the NIH, National Institute of Health, they have uh, millions, millions of dollars to study these endocrine disruptors in the environment because they're causing a lot of problems for, uh, for women as far as reproduction. In light of that, is there any protocol you give your patients of like, you're going through this whole process, here are, here are a few environmental toxins to remove, or here are a few, you know, just, just habit things, like put your phone, you know, three mm -hmm. feet away from you when you sleep, or don't sit with your laptop on your lap. Are there any kind of sort of daily hygiene items like that that you recommend to your patients? So I... First, I always like to know what the patient is working because if a woman works in a gas station and she's inhaling this, this gas all day long, that definitely is correlated with toxicity to the eggs and also increased risk of miscarriages. So I'd like to know what, she's, what she does for her job. So if, if she works in an environment that's toxic and she's inhaling, then I tell her to change, not change job, but to be careful, put masks or whatever it is. As far as cell phone and not, it's very hard for me to give... <laughs> It's hard for me to tell my kids to stay away from your cell phone. So tell me to stay away from your cell phone. That's not going to happen. Um, but the final thing is smoking should be no-no because smoking have been shown to be correlated with earlier age at menopause mm. to um, morbid obesity. You know, of being overweight is related to poor quality eggs as well and makes it harder as well for the women too. Or being too skinny too, right? Or being too skinny or anorexic, you know, like yeah. people who runs every day and they don't yeah. eat or bulimic, they vomit. Right. That's why taking history from a patient is the first thing we do in any specialty, not just in the infertility. Because a lot of time you catch the problem just by talking to the patient. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So you said um, there's primary and secondary infertility. Mm -hmm. And then from that point on, so once you, you, know, you take the history, you take inventory with the patient, then what happens from there? Right. So then we'll do semen analysis. We'll do blood and ultrasound on the patient. If the, we think the tubes might be blocked, we send them to an X-ray of the tubes. After the workup, then we decide, okay, if things are good, then we have to treat you. We don't jump right away to IVF. We usually start with something called IUI or insemination. It's like a turkey baster. Instead of having sex, the time of ovulation, the couple come to the office, the male partner produces sperm in a cup, we'll wash the sperm, it takes like an hour or so, we put it in a syringe and we inject it inside her uterus. It's like a path meal, it does not hurt. Why would that be better than regular sex? What, what's like, what's the... Great question. Thing that's I actually have a video on this on YouTube. What's the difference between <laughs> sex and IUI? So there are four advantages of IUI over sex. One... We're putting the sperm closer to the egg. They don't have to travel. It's like an elevator. Instead of <laughs> sperm going on the stairs for 10th floor to meet the egg, which is on top, you're putting them in an elevator. Two, you're washing the sperm. Only 4% of sperm is normal in any man. So you're talking about 90 
Some wow. people, exactly. I had no idea. That's wild. Yeah. Men are useless. I told you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but so many women think it's their fault. Like that is unfortunately the psychosis around, you're absolutely right. There should be no taboo around infertility. There should, we should be having these conversations because it happens all the time. But right. it is sort of like women always assume it's something we are doing. And it's so mm-hmm. nice to hear in a way that like there are so <laughs> many, there's so many factors that come into combination here to, you know, right. make the miracle of a baby happen. That's right. So we're washing the sperm, we're getting this 4%, putting it in an elevator that goes up. Three is third advantage is timing. We know exactly when a patient is ovulating because we're going to monitor with blood and ultrasound. Mm. And sometimes we give a trigger shot to induce ovulation. So I want a sperm and egg to meet a perfect timing. And number four, which is extremely important, that a lot of couples don't know is that the vagina is actually the worst environment for sperm. It's acidic. And the sperm is basic. So it kills a lot of normal sperm. And already there's only 4%. Imagine if the man has 3% or 2%. So that's why with the IUI, we're bypassing the vagina and putting the sperm in the uterus. So these are the four advantages of IUI. Now, what does it mean washing the sperm? So we put the sperm on on in a tube. The tube has a culture media, like a solution. Mm -hmm. We put the sperm on top and then you centrifuge. Only the good sperm will drive down all the way at the bottom of the tube. Hmm. Then you take everything on top, throw it out, and only take the lower level. These are the happy sperm that can move and look good usually. Does the whole like spinning for male and female sperm actually work? So you talk about sperm sorting for boys and girls. So, it, you know, choosing, it's not, it's not very accurate. It's maybe 60 to 70% accurate when you centrifuge when you do sperm sorting. Mm. That's why when we do, when we have couple coming because they want to have a boy or a girl, we don't do sperm sorting because 30% of the time, at least, I'm getting the wrong sex. So right. have, what's, it's not very efficient. So that's why no fertility clinics that I know of, they, they still do it. But there are some sperm banks, they do it. So patients can go. You can say, I, wanna, I don't want to do IVF. I want to do IUI with boy sperm. I send you there, they will sort it for you. You bring the sperm to my lab, to my office and boom, I inject, inject the sperm. I'm okay with that. It's been successful before. But like I said, if you have four girls, you don't want to get a chance of having a fifth girl, right? I have two boys. If I get third one, I'll probably kill myself. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like You get what you get and you don't get upset. Like if I want to go to the doctor, I, wanna, I want them to tell me you're not getting a third boy. Right. right. What about this? People will write to me. They're like, oh, well, if you have, if you eat certain things and you have sex before you, at this point when of the month or this point of the month, it ensure not ensures, but it's more likely a boy or girl. What do you say to those people? It doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. This is, this is, there is no scientific evidence. I mean, I've heard stories. You put the, you put music uh, on your, <laughs> on your belly after sex, you get a boy. Like I've heard so many things that I'm like, What? It's all not true. At least the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, which is our society, does not have any recommendation regarding these things. So 
And patients, when we do IUI, patients like, shall I lie down all day long today? No, when people have sex at home, they don't sit down laying down. They go, they work, and I'm sure you were working when you got pregnant 16 times. But they're also hopefully not paying as much for the sexual experience <laughs> as they're paying you. So that, maybe that laying that's down is part true. of the thrill. Like, <laughs> I want to pay tens of thousands of dollars You're like, great, it. I'm going to have a little nap here now. This is... <laughs> yeah, I know. And they want to raise their legs. I'm like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help. But, it, but it's okay. Listen, I always tell patients, do what makes you feel comfortable, right? It is okay. Not everything is black and white infertility. And, and there are things we still do not know. But I, I do, because just to follow up on a large point, I do have so many friends who swear by this like timing model where if you have sex really close to when you're ovulating before you ovulate, it's more likely you'll get a boy because that boy sperm is faster because it's missing a chromosome or something. And mm -hmm. if you, you know, it's w basically male sperm is faster but dies faster. Female sperm is slower but lives longer. So it's all this timing thing around when you're when you're ovulating. And I'm fascinated to hear that that's not something that's scientifically based because I I have so many friends who swear this has worked for them. And and exact and the food thing is interesting too because I have a lot of friends who swear that like a more alkaline diet, so right, lots of leafy greens, spicy food, that, but keeping oh their keeping their environment less acidic, I guess it probably has a benefit to fertility if it makes you less acidic, which would kill the sperm. But it, I, but there's people who are like, no, if you're, you know, if you do literally, if you live like Ilaria and you do, you know, eat mostly plant-based and do a lot of yoga, you're like guaranteed you boys. boys. <laughs> no, but, and that's what my husband says to me. So my husband, this is like the best thing. So Alec tries to, tries to say, well, it's you, me, me, who does not determine the gender. And I'm, you're going to tell me that for sure in one second, but like that I do not determine the gender, but he tells me I determine the gender because I'm very athletic. Oh my god! I know. What, which, what do you want to say to Alec Baldwin about that? Just you know, tell him you're wrong. That, tell him, Doctor Murray, he said you're wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you're her new best friend forever. I know. Best friends for life. Okay. That's it. I'm joining your team. I'm leading medicine, and we're gonna do Fan this all day. Fantastic! The three of us will do this. Are you kidding? Great. I love that. <laughs> we're your new girl crew. But you know, actually, it's interesting. I was reading yesterday a study. Um, I believe it came from Europe. It's a basic science on animals. And they found that the egg can choose the sperm. Let me give you an example. If you had two partners, they both have good sperm and you're fertile, your eggs might like sperm of one guy more than the other, hmm. and it will take it up. So that's very interesting. Very interesting. That is very interesting. Is there any correlation of like, like one of my um, children's godmothers, she's one of 12 girls, mm -hmm. no boys, Oh my 12 God. girls. I know, crazy, right? And um, anyway, so she she has this idea that like her parents just couldn't make boys. Is there is there any? Well, it could be there's a genetic problems with the Y chromosome, which is carries the boy and all these embryos are not making it you know, good quality to go implant or they're ending up in a miscarriage. So right. th there is definitely some scientific basis for that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. 12 yeah. girls is a lot of girls. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 12, you have to pay for 12 weddings. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now what do you, you know, obviously we talked about the timing in terms of the, the year versus versus the six months. Um, once they start the process, cause you know, I mean, I have a lot of friends who have, have struggled to have children or a lot of people who have written to me on social media and they've, they've struggled to have children. 
you know, once once they start the process, um, emotionally, what what do you find they need? Are there are there other things other than going and doing the science and being with you or being with who, wherever they are in the world and their their healthcare professional? Um, what are other things that they can do to support their system? So look, fertility, coming to the fertility doctor is very stressful to a lot of women. Very stressful. Like I have patients who. Once they feel comfortable, they start to cry. I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, I was so stressed out coming to this visit. And remember, those patients, they've already went through the internet and read so many things that a lot of it is wrong. And it becomes a vicious cycle in their mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. The, you know, I'm doing this wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then they get confused, right? So it's very important to set up a plan, meet with both couple, and set up a plan of workup and treatment and give the patient her chances of getting pregnant. Because a lot of patients think they're not going to get pregnant. Meanwhile, they have 90% chance of getting pregnant. And other patients, they have opposites. A lot of patients, they think, I have a period, I'm going to get pregnant even if I'm 49 or 50, which is not true. So I really think setting expectations in the beginning and holding the patient's hand and explaining things to her and giving her materials to read as much, I think, in my, in my practice, it works very, very well. Mm-hmm. Because if they go online and read, and I know they will, it's, they're going to find wrong information. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, go to our society, American Society for Reproductive Medicine, ASRM. They have two sections, one for physicians, one for patients. Click on the patient and read any information you want. This is what you, what you should trust, Okay. Yeah, and I mean, what about what about things like acupuncture and diet and all of that? Yeah, so look, I mean, definitely you need to eat. Any woman need to eat healthy, right? Eating healthy, exercising, acupuncture. All the recent studies showed that acupuncture doesn't necessarily improve the pregnancy rates if you do IVF, but it makes patients feel better, less anxious, more relaxed, happier. So it is okay. Do whatever makes you relaxed and happy. With your self-care. Exactly, yeah. exactly. What about alcohol? Like should, if people are trying or if they're struggling getting pregnant, should they give up drinking or, or even if they drink very moderately? No, actually, some studies showed that women who had some moderate drinking, they actually got pregnant faster than women who said, okay, I'm stopping to drink right now, stopping coffee, I'm eating vegetarian, running every day. All these above, your body is not used to it. Why do you need to stress your body even more when, you, when none of this have been shown to improve outcome? Drink a glass of wine every day, have a cup of coffee every day, up to two cups of coffee per day. It's totally okay. When you're pregnant, then we have to talk about changing things. Mm. Right. But you're not pregnant yet. Why you right. need to change that? Right. I think in some ways you almost want to keep your body from feeling like there was a departure from, as in you don't need to add new stresses. You don't need to introduce new things to feel guilty about or crazy about because exactly. I do, I, you know, I do think there's, when I've felt really relaxed and, and I've been, in, you know, enjoying myself, enjoying my husband, like having fun and not really... I guess in some ways telling my body through my emotions that like life mm-hmm. is good and I feel stable here and I feel like in control here, that's when I get pregnant. <laughs> like it is, you know. But that's true. That's true. You're right. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting because I do think people like I, I certainly all have I definitely before my first I fell into the trap of like, well, before I get pregnant, I want to make sure that I'm totally eating clean and I've eradicated every toxin from my life and I've, you know, done all you, you kind of have this fantasy of becoming this like 
you know, temple of, of right. perfection. And obviously, you know, I, my first pregnancy was a total surprise. So like it didn't happen that way, <laughs> but I think that it goes to the point of take care of yourself in the ways you're used to taking care of yourself. Don't feel like right. you have to take some major, you know, cleanse, detox, et cetera, in order to increase fertility. If it's not something that is, you know, required by your doctor. Very true. That's very, very true. Yeah. What about recurrent miscarriages? Um, you know, I mean, I had, after not having a true miscarriage, I mean, a, a chemical pregnancy, I'm always confused if a chemical pregnancy, that's not considered a miscarriage or is it? No, it's not. It's not. So I've had some, I've had some chemical pregnancy and for, and, um, it, tell me if I'm explaining it right, because some people ask me what a, a chemical pregnancy is. It's when the sperm and the egg connect, but it doesn't attach the uterine lining, correct? And it's like you get your period a couple days late. The chemical pregnancy is you have in your urine or blood a positive pregnancy test. Right. But the pregnancy did not evolve to see anything on ultrasound or to get a tissue if you miscarry. So Got it. it's only hormonal. That's Got chemical it. pregnancy. So I had two miscarriages in one year. And I've heard from having those miscarriages, especially the second one that was uh, was for me more traumatic because it was at four months. Um, it was what wow. I had two different opinions. I had um, doctors saying to me, you need to let your body rest and don't try to get pregnant right away. And then I had doctors saying to me, um, no, you're actually, it's seen now, there's new research that's seen now that you should try or you can if you'd like to, emotionally, if you're there, try right away because it's shown now that you can get pregnant right away. And that was literally, I mean, I got pregnant, I, I want to say like a, maybe a month and a half after I had my, my miscarriage. There is no recommendation. Some doctors say wait three months somewhat after miscarriage. Some doctors say six months. Some doctors say one month. But all these, honestly, there is no evidence for them. And all I can tell tell you is if a patient is struggling, doesn't want to wait six months to try again if she had a right. miscarriage. She doesn't. Not even three months. One month is more than enough. You know, you get over the miscarriage, right. your body recovers, you have a period, your body, your lining is all new, then start again. And like you said, it happened to you. So Well, what I was amazed, you know, emotionally both emotionally and physically going through something that late is Emotionally, I was in something of already in the nesting and the planning and the this and the that, and then all of a sudden, it, it, there was there was no real sign. It was it was mm -hmm. very surprising. There were certain things like I didn't I didn't feel her move, mm -hmm. and I kept and I always feel my babies move earlier. And I said that to my doctor, and I was like, I'm not feeling her move. And he was like, Well, you know, you always think you feel them early. I'm like, Trust me, I know what it feels like. Okay. <laughs> and then you know, I went I went to a scan, and and she had she had died. But I, um, yeah, no, it was, it was tough, but, but you know what I, what I've learned with fertility is if you're going to accept the good, you have to also understand that there's a bad that comes with from the good, you know, it's not but a benevolent experience. And sure. so as much as you can allow yourself to be, you should allow yourself to be sad and grieve, you have to kind of look at the grand scheme picture and say, all right, you know, I put myself out there. You literally put your love out there and you need to realize that it's not always going to go in the direction that you think it's going to. I mean, I'm sure you see all the time. People say, this is not how I intended to get pregnant. Right, right. But right. emotionally, you know, not. I, I really, it's almost like I had to get off of a ride too soon. Right. I had to get off the ride too soon. And afterwards, I was like, wait, I need to be back on that ride again. Right. You know? And right, it was right, right. like, I knew that as soon as I had that miscarriage, mm -hmm. and even though, I mean, sometimes it still makes me cry, but, and I'm, and I'm pregnant again, it still is right. always going to be sad for me. Absolutely. But to, to have that hope that it would happen again, 
And then to realize that hope, get to that place where it was a reality, I was really, you know, it just made me feel better, right. you know? And I think that with women who are struggling uh, with fertility, if it's, you know, you know, either second, what, first, second, Primary or secondary, were those the words you use? Uh, yeah, primary, secondary, and fertility. Mm-hmm. Primary, secondary, whatever it is, is that when we feel like we don't have hope, which in that moment, it really feels hopeless, right. that's the scariest part. It's a very, very dark place. And the moment they can go to somebody like you, who you can provide hope, hey, this is a direction with very concrete plan of where we're going to go, or, okay, I had this miscarriage, and now it's time to pick myself up and move on from there. I think that that can be some of the most healing things and allow you to get pregnant again because you're in a happier place. Absolutely. But imagine this. Imagine a woman who tried for many years, came to us, did IVF, spent thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. all her savings. Now she's pregnant and she miscarries at the end. That even sucks more. I'm sorry. I'm not yeah. trying to undermine your feelings. But I'm trying to tell you that you are absolutely right. The fertility treatments have goods and, and not goods. And preparing yourself to, to both up outcome is extremely important. That's right. why I tell patients, listen, we're going to do IUI or IVF. If it works from the first time, great, we celebrate. Right. You can't drink, but we celebrate. But <laughs> if it doesn't work, if it works, we're great, we're lucky. If not, then we have to prepare ourselves for the second cycle. So I always set, I try to set in their mind that, you know, if it happens from the first time, yay. Don't get disappointed if you don't get pregnant from the first cycle or if it ends up in a miscarriage because it can definitely happen and it's not uncommon. Right. No, yeah, that's very smart. I just want to ask because I do, just to follow up on that, I think that with the idea of giving people hope, I personally know a number of women who have been through a round of IVF that did not work and they felt very, you know, just discouraged by that, especially because there's a huge expense associated, et cetera, and a lot of emotional expense expended. And then they found a new technique, a new tactic, a new doctor that approached something differently. And one of the things that I was Mm -hmm. super excited to read about, um, you know, your facility, the New Hope Fertility uh, Clinic, it it offers some really kind of cool new advancements and methods that I, I personally had not heard of before. I'd love if you would tell us a little bit about like what's coming up in the field and why some of these things are the things that you guys highlight, things like needle-free IVF, mm-hmm. which sounds awesome, yeah, what is mini that? IVF, <laughs> ozone sauna therapy. Like it, it's just, the, the, it sounds like a real buffet of choices. What are we snacking on? What's happening? <laughs> no, look, all I can tell you is at New Hope, you know, Dr. John Zang and myself, we, we have similar mentalities because we start, you know, he started, but then I joined them. So we're like, the two who always try to do thing, new things. IVF has been the same protocols since it started 42 years ago. It's same shots, same injections. It's about time someone does something different. Mm-hmm. It's like using BlackBerry. You need, you need to move on and have an iPhone, right? So if you don't do something different, the field is not going to evolve. So this is how in our clinic we approach things. Because let me tell you, Everybody does conventional IVF. If you go to 90% of clinics, they all do the same. What's the difference? The only difference is the difference, the different name of the doctor. But here at New Hope, we have so many things. One, we have minimal stimulation IVF. You take very gentle shots. There is a lot of research for this. There's a lot of studies that showed actually the less medication you take, the better it is. Mm. Why? Because all these shots, your body is not used to them. And now you're bloated. And imagine your egg. Your egg is the most sensitive cell in your body. And now you're exposing 
to all these shots, they can, you might get a lot of eggs with all these shots, but a lot of them might be poor quality eggs. It's like, so you don't want to cook on high temperature the dish, mm -hmm. right? Cooking slowly sometimes is better. So minimal stimulation is, includes a little bit of injection, which is much lower dose than the conventional IVF. Now, after this, we came with the needle-free IVF, which is only pills. You only take pills. And guess what? It works. It wow. works very, very well. You do not need heavy shots to get pregnant. B again, back to my point is that it, it's, it's more about the quality than the quantity. I have a patient who I saw last month, okay? She did three IVF cycles somewhere else. We counted the number of eggs that she got in three cycles. She had a total of 70 eggs, seven zero. Wow. And she had no baby. Wow. I did mini IVF. We got eight eggs. She made three embryos. Now she's pregnant and she has two frozen and, and two frozen. Wow. So can I ask you, why do you need to expose your body to all these shots, pay thousands and thousands of dollars, and at the end of the day, you're not getting a baby? So again, I'm not saying this for everybody, guys. I just want to make it clear that it's, it's especially for women above 35, the less is better. That's why the mini IVF, which is, or needle-free, which is no shots, seems to be very, it works very, very well for this patient. Now, from the needle-free, you know, you don't take shots, but also instead of going to the clinic every other day to have your blood drawn to measure your hormones, we also can measure it in the saliva and the urine. You don't need to be stuck. I have to tell you, I'm afraid of needle needles. I'm very afraid. <laughs> no, you have to see the nurses when they come give me the uh, flu vaccine every year. I run, run away. You run. <laughs> I do. I, I have a video. If you want, I'm happy to share it with you. You know, the nurse was giving me the flu vaccine the first time. And I screamed. She was, so she pulled it back out because no. she was so scared. Then she had to stick me, I swear to God. So, so, so imagine if I'm going to a fertility clinic every other day to, draw, to get blood draw, I will actually faint. So having said that, we measure it in the urine and saliva. Spit in a, in a tube and pee, and that's it. And you're not taking any shots. So that's needle-free IVF. Now from the needle-free, any questions so far about the needle-free IVF? No, but it just it just goes to show like if you have less stress in the body, you will probably have a better result. There you go. Back to my point. Now, from the needle-free IVF, because of the COVID-19, you know, we came up with the home IVF kit. I have to tell you, this is like an Uber. You know, we sent you, we put every, we package everything in a kit, all the medication, everything, nasal spray, oral pill, vaginal pill, zero shot. You don't have to come to the office to blood or ultrasound. You don't even need to do saliva and urine. You come only one time at the end of your, after you finish the kit, you come and we'll do egg retrieval. Wow. I have a patient. Her name is Omolola. The reason why I'm saying her name is that she allowed me to, and she signed consent that I can say anything I want. She was so excited about it. That's why she wanted me to share her story. And she's willing to go on TV. We, we did the home IVF kit. We got eight eggs and four embryos. She have to tell you, this is, the, you know, if you look at, go at other clinics and see, they got 50 eggs to make four embryos. She got eight eggs, zero shots, zero needles. Just came to the clinic once, did her egg retrieval, and she's very, very happy. That's so, amazing. And, and, and it works. Look, I mean, it might not work for everybody, guys, but it works for 90% of patients who have a regular menstrual cycle. You ovulate on day 14. Most women ovulate on day 14. Get the eggs the day before your ovulation and give them mm -hmm. some medication before. 
Well, some people ovulate earlier and they lose the cycle when they come. But you know what? It happens. 90% of patients are okay with it and it works for them. I mean, I feel like we're going to need to continue this conversation because we didn't even get to half of the other on the menu items, guys. There I is, won't dive up too much. No, you no, don't. No, no, it's good. This is so it good. It makes it so, you know so what? Good. It makes it so memorable because it's like it. you really have a great way of giving an analogy to people, um, people's real lives. So uh, before we let you go, I, were you prepared to share a favorite thing? My favorite thing is to sit in my jacuzzi and drink my wine. But unfortunately, <laughs> the pump of my jacuzzi broke last oh, week no. and I got the new one and it's not installed yet but that's one of my favorite things my second favorite thing is to watch netflix with my son he likes horror movies and to me that's also a lot of fun so i love that you like horror movies but you're afraid of the flu shot I, <laughs> this is good this is good <laughs> i know i know but this was truly awesome thank oh, you thank so you so much All right, guys, that was our, our new BFF, Dr. Zahar Murphy. Um, I learned a lot and I and I laughed a lot more. I thought that this was going to be a much more um, a much more serious conversation in terms. I mean, we got through the serious stuff, but we did it in a really joyful way. Um, so that was that was a really fun one. We didn't want him to go. I he know. didn't want to go. He didn't want to come on. He's like he was. He, he's one of us now. He's a girl. I know. He's, he's, he's going to be. Uh, everybody, write in to uh, mombrainpod at gmail and just tell us if you want us to have a third host on this. And that would be him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, if anyone was going to be that third person, talk about someone with incredible insight into you know the journey to motherhood and um, and what that uh, or you know if you've already had children, the journey to your next child. Look what that looks like um and just hilarious perspective as a dad and all of it but I you know I, I have to say I really um and I, I can't wait to continue the conversation because I met what I said like the menu of choices that is available through through his facility is is pretty cool and like there there we didn't even get to a um one that does ovarian rejuvenation for you know mothers who want to try to have kids later in life and just really interesting cutting and stuff and he's right there hasn't been a ton of innovation in the space and it's really exciting uh you know and and definitely provides some new hope to um, to people who are struggling to find a way to become the parents that they would like to be. Um, but I have to say, most of all, his advice on don't stress yourself out, don't create a bigger problem in your head than than the problem on the ground you're trying to tackle. Um, you know, the, the way I can totally imagine as he described, you know, people coming and sitting in his office and just breaking down a little bit because when, you know, I'm sure we've seen this in so many different areas of our lives. When we have this problem that's festering in our brain and we don't give it oxygen, we don't give it life by speaking about it, we don't ask the questions that need to be asked, we don't seek the advice from experts that need to be sought out, it becomes so overwhelming. It becomes really huge. And when you break it down into here's the task day by day, it becomes much more manageable. And he just inspires so much confidence and kindness and um, and warmth. And I just, I can't wait to chat more with him because we have so much more to learn. <laughs> Definitely. And also, I mean, his, his um, New Hope Fertility is a great name because having gone through some of this myself, you know, I mean, not going, you know, to the lengths that he describes, but definitely, you know, having had two miscarriages in one year, you feel a little bit hopeless. 
um, and somebody out there while you're going through something like that that's so emotional and just not the way that you expected things to go is a great a great ally and 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 a great resource to have um, in in one of the most important journeys that that we can take. Absolutely, and the new home IVF kits. Like what? This is so. I know, especially during COVID. That's great. And now it's time for our favorite things. It's time for our favorite things. So it's been a while since I shared a favorite makeup product with you guys, and I, I'm going to go back to it because I feel like certainly um, throughout quarantine, my like my my makeup needs went up and down. I sometimes was like, I want bare minimum. I want almost nothing. I just want to like perk it up a little bit. Sometimes I want to go full glam, full tilt just for fun. Um, and then every once in a while, I had to like put TV makeup on. So in any case, I really like had a chance to go through my makeup bag a bunch of times and find the products that are, are truly star products for me. And one thing that I never used to pay any attention to were my eyebrows. I I kind of just like let them do their own thing. And consistently I had like this one stupid hair that was like hanging out a different direction or this one bald spot that like, you know, an over eager plucking session when I was 17 has never grown back. And what I strive for is a really nice defined arch that looks filled in, but that doesn't give me like crazy bushy brows because for my face that doesn't necessarily look great. So I have tried a lot of eyebrow products and the one that I found that I love the best is this hourglass product called Arch Brow Micro Sculpting Pencil. I find that it's really nice just to like fill in any gaps and give you a kind of like nice arch that your hairs kind of build around. You know, I'm not someone who's going to sit there with a pencil artfully drawing in like individual hairs, but it has this really thin kind of point on it. And it lets me just quickly, as though you were using a colored pencil, just quickly flick in little hairs. And it's it just makes it really um, effortless and easy for me and gives me what I think is a more finished face and a more, and again, like if I'm looking for that really pared down look, I'll just do the eyebrows, a swish of mascara and some lipstick without I might double as blush if I'm really like going to town. Um, and it, it just, it, I find that it, they are the, what do they say? They're the, they're the curtains of your face. They like make the room look finished and I just. They're frame. They, they're they, frame. Fr- they the frame, frame your eyes. They frame the yes. face. They give you a little bit more definition to let your eyes pop. Totally. Um, all right, guys. So my favorite thing today is um, some dinnerware for kids or, or foodware, tableware. Yeah, dishware. It's called dishware. Okay. So I was um, gifted this dishware by one of our one of our close friends, um, and it's called Fable, and you can find them at fablenewyork.com. Uh, um, and they're bamboo plates, and I'm like big bamboo plates for my kids. Um, I love the sustainability of it. I love I love the feel to the bamboo plates as well. I mean, bamboo is I think one of the fastest. I think they say is the fastest growing mm-hmm. plant. And let me tell you the other things that I'm obsessed with about. Um, we put them in the dishwasher. They're super cute. They have really cute little drawings on them that the kids get into. They have like a Christmas one, like a, a reindeer, I think it is. And Rafa, who is Mr. Christmas all year round, is obsessed with it. Um, but I also love the size of the bowls. And this is a really big deal for us because um, cereal in the morning is a really – important step of surviving. So like I'll wake up in the morning and I feed the dogs. I wake up before everybody and I go and I make everybody their food and everybody has their cereal a little bit differently. But, and there's a lot of like spreading of peanut butter in the bowl and then putting different cereals on top of it. And it's like a whole thing. 
it's a good size bowl and it's nice and like firm and great. And like I've never, I don't think I've ever been passionate about a bowl before, <laughs> but I am very passionate about this bowl and the size of the bowl. And I like every single morning at six o'clock in the morning, I am very grateful for this bowl. Amazing. All right, you guys, that is it for this week's episode. Please remember to share our episode with your friends, anyone who you think might find this particular topic helpful. Going by how much we hear from you guys on this topic, I really hope that it's something that you love and that you will share. Um, and of course, if you feel so inclined, give us that five-star rating and review. You guys, it does make a huge, huge difference and we really appreciate it. We love getting more people on board listening to Mom Brain and, uh, and chatting and hanging out and having fun with us every week. And as I said before, send us not only the fact that you want him to be our permanent third host, but <laughs> do send us questions as well, especially because we're going to have him back on, hopefully, mombrainpod at gmail.com. Give us stuff that you guys want to hear about. We, but Daphne and I have a million more questions that we want to ask. And he obviously had a million more things that he is not only capable of saying, but really wanted to say. So um, for part two, please, please, please send in your thoughts and we will incorporate them into our interview we're on all social outlets at mom brain so look us up follow spread the word we love you guys talk to you next week bye guys this is mom brain with Ilaria baldwin and daphne oz mom brain is a gallery media group original production